Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Seeking Witchcraft. My name is Ashley. And today I have on a special co-host who is going to help me discuss everything you wanted to know about a coven, initiations, at as much as information we can give you at a seeker level, solitary versus group practice, magic school, advice for seekers, and much, much more. We'll also give a little bit more information about a website later in the episode about how to access a coven, which I'm also going to have a whole episode about later on this season. So as I mentioned, I do have a a co-host and my co-host today is my high priest Azazel. So welcome back Azazel. It's been quite some time since you've been on the podcast. Can you introduce yourself to the people who may not know you or I don't know, maybe want to reference that status (laughs) since the last time he were on. How's it going, everyone? Um, I'm Azazel, as Ashley mentioned. I'm her high priest of our coven. And we mentioned in a couple episodes, I don't know how long ago that was, we did start a coven and we are officially a full-fledged coven at the moment. And so that's been keeping us busy definitely the past couple months. I'm also the host of Feast of Torches podcast which has taken a little bit of a backseat due to all the coven stuff as it is a lot of hard work and a lot of energy that we have to put in it. And it's just been a a fun ride. And thank you for having me on, Ashley. I I can't wait to talk about our topic today. Yeah, I think it's going to be a fun one for us to talk about specifically because we are coven leaders running a group together. So this is going to be great. (laughs) So I think we should start off, you know, what exactly is a coven? You know, I think a lot of times we think when we think coven or coven comes to mind, you know, we think either our our brains always go immediately to like pop culture. So we see stuff like, you know, Sabrina and the craft and we see, you know, them on the beach and they're all casting the quarters and and doing stuff. And essentially, it's not far off. A coven is essentially a group of witches who gather together uh, for a specific goal. Those goals can vary depending on the tradition, the people in the group. It really just tends to depend on what exactly the those goals are. And in our case specifically, you know, we are a training coven. We train people in the Gardnerian tradition. Uh, right now, we are focusing on our outer court students. Um, not every tradition has an outer court. A lot of the, a lot, sometimes they just essentially just bring you in. Also, not every coven is going to be a part of a tradition. It can be an eclectic thing. It can be a more focused group on a specific type of magic. An OC or an outer court, as as we as I put it earlier, is essentially just a a pre prep course that you take prior to gaining or joining it within that coven. And your time in that stage of the coven work can't really depend and vary depending on the group itself, how comfortable they are with you, how long you've known them, how much studying uh, they require of you. Yeah. And the thing with outer courts is that not every outer court looks the same, not only within the tradition, but also just in general. So for example, the outer court that Azazel and I host within the Gardnerian tradition is something that we have come up with on our own in terms of our training materials and the things that we have deemed to be important for our students to know prior to potentially petitioning for initiation. 
But not every outer court works like this. Some outer courts only want it to be a social group to get to know the people within it. And some outer courts have other ways and other things they do. For example, they may be training people with the mindset of training them to have a base level of witchy skills. Some outer courts don't really worry about that. Outer courts are as different as there are people. There are tons of different personalities and there's tons of different outer courts that go along with that. The same can be said for covens. So yes, that's more of to say your outer court experience will absolutely vary depending on not necessarily the tradition you're with because it's, it's going to, but honestly, based on the people who are leading it. Yeah, for sure. Like, you know, everybody has their own different methods of teaching, but aside from that, everybody has their own different methods of learning. And, you know, even though it could be the same, you know, high priest or high priestess or coven leader um, that may be running the group, every iteration of that outer court of that um, outside training group is going to be different for everyone because they do have to kind mm -hmm. of rework things for a new batch of students or new people that come in because not everybody learns the same. And I think if you do notice that within your coven leaders, it could be a good sign that, you know, they're actually paying attention to you, paying attention to your needs. And, you know, it can help with, you know, going back to Ashley's uh, red flag episode, you know, help determine those red flags. You know, is my coven leader actually giving me the time of day to put some effort into actually training me? And they're not just using me as another number. One thing I also want to mention about outer courts with not only is the material that you're going to learn or potentially not even learn during your time in an OC, um, in the sense of some OCs, as I mentioned, are strictly social groups just to get to know you to see if you'd be a good fit for the group. There's also different lengths. So some groups are very much of the mindset that after a year and a day, your training is up. Um, that's when you could potentially petition for initiation. Some groups don't really care about that. <laughs> you know, look at Gerald Gardner. I mean, I think he, he didn't, he didn't do any training. They, he, they just kind of met with the people and he was whisked away into the night. Right. Yep. 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 A random night after a Rosicrucian <laughs> order. Yep. Um, As you do. <laughs> they were just like, Oh, I think you're one of us. Let's bring you in. I mean, even, you know, Ash Ashley was saying, I, when I was in OC, I think I was maybe in outer core for six months. Uh, and they generally had the rule of, you know, doing a year and a day, but, you know, for different people, it's different circumstances. You know, I had already been practicing solitary for almost a decade and there was only so much they felt like they could really teach me in outer court. And a lot of it just came with, you know, spending that time together and really building that, that bond and, and seeing how well I fit in with everybody else. And, you know, sometimes it really, again, it can vary depending on the coven. Yeah, you know, we actually ran into a pretty interesting moment as new coven leaders ourselves running out of court. And shout out to any of our students that might be listening to this because I'm totally going to talk about something we had or a discussion with you, all you guys. Um, some of our OC students had different start dates around similar times of the year. And one of them asked, well, what day was my year in a day? Like, what day did I start? What day are you counting it as? And I, I kind of looked at them and I was like, well, doesn't really matter <laughs> what the day was because outer court essentially takes as long as it needs to take. Mm -hmm. That can mean a bunch of things in the sense of sometimes, as, as Azazel said, sometimes you're training, you don't need a year in a day. Other times you do need a year in a day. Other times there's logistical reasons of why training is X amount of time. There's a whole bunch of factors that go into it. I myself was initiated, I think about a year and a half, not even the year in a day. And I asked you for my year in a day as well. 
it wasn't anything because I wasn't ready for initiation, but it was strictly because of logistical reasons. Cause there's a lot of things that go into that on the back end for coven leaders. Mm-hmm. So this is all to say that if you get involved with an outer court, don't be surprised by how long it may take or how short the experience might be. That being said, it could also be a red flag if somebody's just immediately like, Oh yes, you let's initiate you right now when you've known them mm-hmm. for maybe 10 minutes, that could be a, <laughs> If somebody's a little little too eager to jump the gun and you don't really know them and they don't really know you, I would maybe take a step back and reevaluate that situation. But yeah, outer courts take as long as they take. There's a lot of factors that go into the length of time and don't get discouraged if you are not the perfect year in a day student because I certainly wasn't and neither was Azazel. Yeah, for sure. And definitely don't be afraid. Like, let's say, you know, it does come to that year in a day and the whole question comes up of, you know, seeking initiation and you know, you're, you feel you're still not ready for it. Like, that's okay if you still need to take the time to, you know, get to know these people better or learn a couple more things. Um, no, I wouldn't say take too much time, like have some, I guess, faith and confidence in yourself and your abilities and the things that you've learned over your time with them. But also, you know, be very self-aware of your own values of trust. Because like a lot at the end of the day, when it comes to joining a group, trust is probably going to be the the main thing you want to focus on and wanting to make sure that, you know, you do trust these people, you know, a hundred percent. And a lot of times in doing any type of coven work, like it's, it can be a very intimate thing. Not necessarily like, I don't a hundred percent don't mean like in a sexual way. I mean, more like, you know, you are exchanging energies with them. You're manipulating, you know, these things and you're bringing stuff in. You're all working together as a unit to either do something magically or, recognize a Sabbath, these things can, you know, blend your energies together. And you want to make sure that you can trust the people around you with, let's say something happens in circle and then you, it kind of makes you break down. You want to be able to make sure that you can feel 100% comfortable doing that in front of the people that are around you. I also want to add to that, that it's very important to make sure that it's not just your high priest and high priestess or whoever the leaders are of your group, that it's the people that you're training with, the people in the coven as well. Because it's really easy when you're in an outer court to want to impress the leaders and make a good impression upon them and, and you know try to do right by them. And that's completely fine. But a coven is a group practice. And it's really important to make sure that everybody in the group, you have some sort of good standing with them and vice versa. You know, you are interviewing a outer court and coven just as much as they're interviewing you. And I think sometimes it gets lost in translation for seekers. I think there's this emphasis of wanting to impress your leaders, but you really need to see if they impress you in a way. You know, it's not, this isn't like a contest or a competition or anything by at any point. And if you find that your group is like that, that's another red flag, but you know, you got to make sure that you're being true to yourself too, and not trying to fit, you know, a square peg into a round hole. You want to make sure these are people that, as Azazel said, you can really be intimate with. And as we mentioned, again, not sexually, but strictly, you know, you're burying your soul at times to these people. Yeah. You're, there are times where you are vulnerable. I mentioned a million times, witchcraft is not comfortable it will break down, you know, the parts of you that you didn't want to address, <laughs> you know, all that shadow work and the, the skeletons in your closet. And I'm sure as a seeker, you might be wondering, well, me doing a spell has nothing to do with this one dark secret I keep in my past or this this trauma I had or this thing I didn't want to reference. But you'd be very surprised <laughs> how much that uh, intermingles with each other. And I'm not saying this to scare anybody off. If anything, it's great to face your your 
trauma and it's great to mm. face your demons sometimes if you're in a space where you're able to do that and have the support around you to help you through that exactly and that is one of the great things about working in a coven versus solitary practice is having that group dynamic to really fall back on and knowing that there are people there who have your back and you have theirs now that is something we're going to talk about in a moment the pros and cons of coven work versus solitary work I did want to mention in the definition of covens a couple things. One, a coven typically consists of the coven members and the high priest or high priestess. There are also within different covens, there's um, sometimes different degrees or rankings you work through, Mm -hmm. such as in the Gardner tradition, we have three degrees. So first, second, and third. And also more of a heads up. Some covens get very testy about this. Uh, So just advice to seekers, just a heads up so you'll know. Typically, if you're in a outer court for a tradition, you wouldn't necessarily say you're in a coven. You would say you're in an OC because most people see coven work as initiatory work only. This is not for every single tradition. This is not for every single group, but I'm just giving you a heads up to play it on the safe side if you do join an OC because some people do get really testy about that. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) I just want to give give y'all a heads up about that. Uh, Just to be careful with your words um, to make sure you don't accidentally annoy somebody. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Oh, I do want to mention also one other thing. The difference between a coven versus a book club or a witch club. (laughs) (laughs) As I mentioned, a coven is usually a dedicated group. In some traditions, there's initiations that go into that. A book club or a witch club that's sometimes just a casual meetup of people who they might not actually do any spell work together or any rituals together. Maybe they're only reading a book or they're only, I don't know, meeting up for a Sabbath, but not actually doing any rituals. That being said, I'm not going to sit here and police you if you want to call your group a coven. Like, that's on y'all. I don't really mind. But this kind of goes with some people do get testy in the internet space. <laughs> if you use the word coven, but you're not part of a tradition or or an initiate. So again, I don't really care what y'all call yourselves, but just to let you know, some people might not consider that a coven um, in certain spaces. And if you do use that phrasing, you might run into some pushback, but this is y'all's practice. Like who cares? Yeah, for <laughs> do, sure. what, do what makes you happy. Like, I mean, and there are definitely things, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of times the like, covens, there isn't really a time limit on a coven, right? So if you're coming together for a specific goal, like let's say you're going to do a book club, for example, you know, there are very specific grimoires or a variety of different magic books that are out there that are workable and you can get together as a group, work that magic together and do experience those things together. And that would technically fall under the umbrella term of a coven. And that doesn't mean you have to be a coven forever. That could be just be a coven for a temporary time when you're going through the book and, and you have, you know, people to bounce ideas off of at the time. There are, you know, a variety of different ways in which you can be or run a coven. Now, as I mentioned earlier, having had a essentially almost a decade of experience prior to being in a coven, I worked solitary. And a lot of that, my understanding of coven work was, you know, I'm doing perfectly fine on my own and I don't really need other people. I've tried doing stuff in high school, like when I was in high school and I tried running my high school friends and and doing our little coven I, I wouldn't even call it a coven it was a lot um but you know we had that attempt of getting together a group of like-minded people who we would celebrate the sabbaths together and i would try to teach them things here and there and i kind of got more geared towards doing a lot of solitary work 
my experience working with other people was usually just me teaching them things. And I didn't really like doing that too much because then it took away from my own practice. And while that does happen every now and again, I think um, when you're working on solitary work, you really, it can be difficult. It's not any less or more effective than working with a coven. In my experience, like I've definitely done a lot of workings that have gotten results, you know, in both situations. And a lot, it's just a lot, it's, it's a bit harder to get to those spaces because you are, again, you are teaching yourself these things. There is definitely a, a lot, a lot of nonsense and, and kooky crap on the internet. And there are also a lot of people who are, have no idea what they're talking about, but they're essentially talking out of their, out of their ass the entire time. And because the way they say things in a nice way, it can be very, very alluring. And so you kind of have to be careful on who you're listening to, what you're reading, be very um, conscious of taking that type of any, any type of information. in. Yeah, you know, I think there's definitely pros and cons to working in a group versus solitary practice. I think with solitary practice, you can kind of set your own ground rules and follow mm-hmm. what feels right to you. And, you know, you don't necessarily have that kooky person you might need to deal with outside of yourself because we're all a little kooky on the inside, right? Speak for yourself. <laughs> we are the weirdos, mister. Come on. Exactly. Anywho, I think that there are definitely some pros to working solitary. You can set your own pace. You don't really have anybody who has to tell you this is what we're going to be doing you know, you can incorporate their craft on your own schedule. But I think there's some cons of coven work too. I think one of the biggest ones, in my opinion, because I am an extroverted person, (laughs) is I really love group work. I really love having that spiritual family to rely on. And I really love shared experiences with my coven because coming into this so skeptical and with such a realistic mind, getting to have those realists or those, well, they were realistic experiences because they happened, but getting to have those experiences in circle where I saw something or I felt something, or I heard something or, you know, something happened where I experienced this and I thought it was crazy. And then I would talk about it with somebody else in the group and they were like, oh no, I was hundred there, hundred percent there with you. I saw that too, or read that or smelled that or whatever. And that was really valuable to me <laughs> to have because I knew I wasn't going crazy. And, you know, as I mentioned, that spiritual family, having people there to back you up and, you know, having people there to bounce ideas off of, because sometimes you just really need a sounding board, especially when you are dealing with the occult and you're dealing with these things that are unknown and they're not quote unquote normal experiences <laughs> for most people compared to maybe like your mundane friends, you know. I can't really go to my mundane friends and be like, hey, so I saw this black shadow come in my room the other day and then it slammed my door. You know, what spell do you think I should do? What protection rune or, you know, what what would you recommend for me? Because they're going to look at me like a priest. Exactly. But as it turns out, I do have a priest I can call Azazel. (laughs) I do have my high priest I can call. Uh, But but Mm -hmm. But in reality, it comes down to I have people within my coven and even within my tradition from the community, the people I'm friends with, that I can fall back on and ask for help. And I think that is such a pro in this. 
also not for nothing i came into this really fucking new and i didn't (laughs) i didn't know anything so being able to learn from other people and not have to rely solely on myself and the books i was reading and be able to get different perspectives from other people was so invaluable to me so i'm very much pro group work I also want to make it very clear that just because you are working in a coven does not mean that you're not allowed or that you don't have a solitary practice that you do on your own. Because I certainly have a practice I do on my own that's completely separate of my tradition. I think every single person in this tradition I would say that I know of has that. I can't speak for everybody, just the people that I know. But I mean, Azazel, I'm sure you have a (laughs) solitary practice or two that you do outside of our normal coven stuff. Um, I read way too many books to not have a solitary practice of my own and, you know, finding out little things here and there that are, I find fascinating. Like I've grown this new fascination with necromancy these past couple of months and well, you know, Salmon's I, coming up. So good timing Salmon is coming up and you know, it's, it's things like that, that like, I like finding new and exciting things that I can do on my own and experience these things first. And I think that especially in cases like this, where I am now training other people in, the matters of witchcraft, the matters of our tradition, I think it's helpful for me to make myself even more well-rounded and be able to fully understand all these different types of concepts of magic and, and practices and varieties of ways of working so that I can better teach my students. When you're teaching from a more informed background and you're able to more accurately depict things, and it's not just something you read off Wikipedia 20 minutes ago, and you're now teaching it to your your students. I also want to make it really clear too that I haven't seen as much of this on the internet, which I'm very grateful for, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Just because you're involved in a different tradition doesn't mean that you are that quote unquote type of witch. I mean, sure, you can use a label, I suppose, if you want to define yourself as a member of a certain tradition. That's completely fine. So for example, yeah, I'm a gardenerian witch. That's just one aspect of who I am and my type of practice. But there's a lot of people who are very focused on defining the the type of witch they are. And I think it this goes to the extreme of I'm a sea witch, I'm a star witch, I'm a kitchen witch, I'm a green witch, I'm a hedge witch, I'm a I don't know, computer witch. <laughs> like you know, <laughs> I, I think that my personal opinion of that, there's nothing wrong with having words that help you feel empowered in your practice and can help explain some of the type of witchcraft that you do. But I think that it's more important to focus on the practice versus the label. If that makes yeah, sense. Don't let it pigeonhole you into thinking you can, you can only do one thing. Absolutely. One last thing I want to say about the pros of coven work versus solitary practice. The, I, I touched upon this in my episode about balancing your craft life, the recent one that I posted and I did. So I do want to bring this up here. One of the good things about having coven training or outer core training or being part of a group is that you have a dedicated training schedule for when you meet in person, assignments you might be doing, things of that nature, books you're reading, what have you. And sometimes having that on your schedule is really nice when you don't have time in your life to do anything else because you're so busy with work and school and maybe your kids and your job and going to the gym and walking your dog and cooking and going to the grocery store and like everything else that you need to do in real life. I think that it's important to make sure that you have a healthy relationship with your own spirituality outside of a group practice. However, Sometimes having that on your schedule and knowing, hey, I haven't been at my altar for the last two weeks, but I'm meeting for the Sabbath next week. Sometimes that could be a little bit of a relief. I know when I was doing a lot of my solitary stuff, at first it was very sporadic. 
And, you know, we do things here and there. Sometimes I wouldn't do things for months. I mean, hell now, I'd, sometimes I don't do things for months. <laughs> Being a coven leader takes up a lot of your time. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I say when... that in the most loving way. We we absolutely love what we do. But yes, it does take a good chunk of time. Yeah. And, and you know, going back, looking back at my solitary practice, it, I, it kind of got to the point where, you know, this was something that I, I do love doing and I do find joy and fulfillment in you know, communing with my spirits and, and talking with my deities and, and, you know, doing spell work. And I kind of got to the point where like, I needed to make myself a little bit more accountable for the things that I was doing in the sense of, you know, I had a structured time, like either, you know, let's say I was working with a specific God or, and I would try to like, okay, so every Friday when I'm going home from school or when I'm, you know, walking somewhere, I'm going to take this time to spend with this deity. And I'm going to do this every week or every other week. And that's going to be my, essentially my spiritual time. And as long as you like plan these things out, like at least far in advance, or you build that habit, it becomes a lot more easier to, you know, one, commune with different types of spirits, commune with yourself. Um, Having that scheduled time can be highly beneficial, um, you know, whether you're working in a coven or working by yourself, especially working by yourself. Because again, you have to hold yourself accountable. You don't have, it's not like you have like, oh, like next weekend's coming up. I'm supposed to have coven. I don't want to disappoint my high priestess and everybody else that's there that's, you know, waiting for me to be there. I'm just not going to go because I'm taking a sick day. You know, it, it, those types of things does, definitely does help you hold you more accountable. And so that's one of the, I wouldn't say it's a, a negative thing against solitary practice. It's just more of a, a personal preference. And, but also don't be too hard on yourself if you're not able to keep things at a hundred percent every day, every other day, give yourself time to relax, give yourself time to really take in what it is that you're learning and process these things. And, you know, don't try to rush everything that you're learning as well. Take the time. Sometimes things are going to, sometimes going through a book, you know, even though it's a small book can take a couple months. Sometimes it can take a week, but give it the time that it deserves and the respect that it deserves when you're learning on your own. Yeah, I also want to highlight just one thing. I know that I'm probably a little biased towards group work because I absolutely love being in a coven and I'll fully admit that. But I want to make sure that it's clear that I'm not knocking solitary practice because without my own solitary practice, both when I was in outer court and even to this day, you know, that solitary practice helped build me into the witch that I am today. Yes, I had the training for my outer court, but as you find out when you are doing witchcraft, it's all about the work. And when I was training, I only, you know, I met every other week. So I met fairly constant or constantly, but I found that especially for myself, I, I was so realistic and had, I was really struggling with, you know, breaking through that barrier per se of letting myself be fully immersed in the craft that I needed that solitary time by myself to meditate, to cast circles, to be in a world between the world, uh, a liminal space. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't do that, my group practice would not have been enough for me. So I want to make sure that I'm not knocking solitary practice at all. I think it's incredibly important to supplement to your craft. And not everybody has access to a group. You know, that's the that's the truth of it. And not every group, like even if there are groups around you, not every group is the best fit for everybody. So sometimes it's just not feasible. And sometimes solitary practice is all that is feasible for a person and that's okay. So there are definitely pros and cons to both of them. I am privy to group work, but solitary work is absolutely important 
And as I said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been the witch I am today if I didn't have a healthy practice with my solitary life. Yeah. Does it make you any better or worse of a witch to be in a coven or not be in a coven? At the end of the day, whether you're in a coven or you're working by yourself, it's going to be up to you on the amount of energy and, and effort that you put into it. Yeah. And also I want to mention that please don't put your initiators up on a pedestal or your high priest and high priestess. You know, one of the very first things that Azazel and I said to our students when we were starting our outer court with them was the only reason that we were the ones who were teaching them and on the other side of the altar was because we got into this before they did. And we had a couple more years in them. I think that there are a lot of people in the craft who have this high and mighty mindset of, well, I'm an elder. You need to respect me right off the bat. And I think that there is this thing that's lost in translation where uh, I'm of the opinion that respect is earned, not given. Mm -hmm. And I can respect somebody for the degrees or the work that they have put in. But if they're a shit person to them or to me, then it's going to be a different situation. Just because you spent X amount of years, you know, attaining whatever degree you may have doesn't mean that you should automatically be granted respect at your core if your core is not nice. Mm -hmm. And that goes for people outside, I would say, in solitary work as well. They've definitely experienced that that kind of uh, ego in some solitary practitioners, whether you're interacting with online or at public events, you know, oh, I've been practicing the crafts like for the past like 40 years, but you're in this class learning about beginning runes. Like take some humility in the things that you're learning and everybody starts, has to start somewhere. And I think give people respect when they deserve it and have earned it. Yeah. I also want to make sure though, like we're not knocking, you know, somebody who's been in the craft for a long time if they are taking a beginning class. Cause I think there's always something to learn from beginner books, no matter how long that you've been in this or beginner classes. Cause you're always looking at this with a new lens, right? You know, you learn a bunch of stuff and then you go back and you reread the material you started with and you're like, oh, shoot, I missed this. I missed that. Or I'm looking at it in a different way. But yeah, as Azel said, I think it's really important to have some humility with yourself, be humble with yourself. And yeah, I think it's very important to show respect to your teachers, just as you would show respect to your boss or to some professors or your teachers at school, you know, or your parents or whatever leaders you have in your life. But ego is definitely a thing in the craft. And just because somebody has a degree in witchcraft does not make them any better than you. All right. With that said, we're going to move into the different <laughs> types of covens. I feel like we talked about this a bit, but the two big things we're going to talk about are eclectic, which that is how you say it. Okay. My like first or second episode when I talked about covens, I don't know what I was thinking because I knew the word was. Did you say electric? I said electric. Like I knew the word was eclectic, but I kept saying electric and I, I, cannot oh, tell you yes, why I, I did that. that i don't know why i did that anywho eclectic versus traditional groups or initiatory groups the difference between eclectic groups and groups that are part of a tradition is that traditions are generally something that you initiate into and they're usually from a long line of well it doesn't have to be long it could be you know generations of a coven that has its own egregore, has its own teachings, has its own ways that they celebrate the Sabbath, things like that. So traditional groups can include Gardnerian groups, Alexandrian groups, Blue Star, a whole bunch of different traditions, which we're going to talk about on another episode. <laughs> There's a lot of different things that go into that. Uh, eclectic groups might be groups that can still have an initiation, but they might be kind of doing their own thing. There might be like some 
variations in the practice within groups that are within the eclectic group. Yeah, there there's it's it's similar but different. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was prior to me joining a uh, Gardnerian coven, I had joined a an eclectic group and it was very much very loose in the way that they did things. There was no initiation, right? There was no initiation. There was a type of um, like commitment ceremony that they did, like a dedication rite that they did to the coven and to, you know, dedicating your time to meeting with each other and giving everybody else, you know, the time and respect that people are putting into the rituals. Because there also was no, I mean, technically there was a high priest and priestess and we viewed them as the high priest and priestess. But I guess in general terms, when we talked to each other, there was no hierarchy in that in that, in that that group. It was essentially every time we had a ritual or a sabbat, somebody would essentially be key person for that. They would, it would and a lot of times, because everybody in that group was also coming from different backgrounds. So, you know, we do one ritual for, I don't know, one random Tuesday, and there'd be one person leading that ritual, and they would essentially guide us through the way that they would do ritual. So we would each learn from each other, or each individual ways of practicing witchcraft. Um, so that was really interesting. But after a while for me, I think I needed a, a little something a little bit more structured. And I didn't really feel like I had the, not the knowledge, but I didn't really have the capability to really contribute fully in the way that everybody else was contributing. So that's why I more searched out for like a, like a Garnerian group because it was something that's going to be a little bit more structured. It has more of a, I don't want to say classical way of training and teaching. Whereas the other was the other group, which I, you know, I loved everybody there for the most part. I got along with everybody, but I didn't feel like I was really learning anything. It was just very, a lot of different things every time. And for me, I just didn't really learn that way. There's nothing wrong with groups that do that either. You know, Mm -hmm. for some people that works completely well, one of our, one of our friends does that. She has a group where they have people from different backgrounds and they kind of rotate um, I believe they rotate of how they do different rituals and such. Mm-hmm. And that seems to work really great for them. And I'm really happy to hear that. And if you're listening to us, we love you. Um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, that that type of group work isn't for everybody. And sometimes some people prefer something a little bit more structured. And that's fine, too. Yeah. That doesn't like mean anything bad about that group. It's just no, not, not the way you learn. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So as we discussed, one of the things that we were going to mention was initiations. (laughs) So what is an initiation? An initiation is a word you'll hear thrown around all the time. Initiation is essentially a ceremony of initiation that that a person petitioning to get into a coven will go through after they have been approved by the leaders of their coven. Initiations are generally completely secret. You don't know anything about them and what happens in them. I'm certainly not going to sit here and tell you what happens in them, <laughs> but I can talk around them in the sense of most traditional groups will have an initiation ceremony of some point. There's a lot of things that go into an initiation. You'll probably have a lot of prep work going into initiation, whether that be your entire outer court experience or, you know, interviews you have with your high priest or high priestess or assignments you need to complete or whatever it is. But initiation marks the change of your status from an outer court student to a member of a coven. And it also changes you as a person. That's the whole point of an initiation is to join something different and become a part of it. So there are talks about 
initiation versus self-initiation. Now I know in Uncle Bucky's big blue book, which is uh, Raymond Buckland's book on witchcraft. I believe he has a section in there on self-initiation, correct? Yeah, because um, after he, I don't say left the Gardnerian tradition, but he went and started his own tradition, the, the Sioux tradition. In that method of practice of Wicca, it did involve self-initiation because it wasn't really focused on group work. A lot of it was uh, solitary. And I think they, I don't know if there were ever any like Sioux covens, but a lot of it mostly was focused on solitary work and committing yourself to the gods. And so that point he put a kind of a self-initiation ritual, which I more view that as being like a self-dedication ritual. It's difficult to initiate yourself into a an egregore when you're not either in communication with everybody else in the group or in the tradition or that mode of practice. A lot of it's mostly just done on you and it's you dedicating yourself to something. You're not essentially being brought in by other people to do a thing or to join a, a group. So it's a little bit of variety depending on your own definitions of self-initiations. In our craft specifically, there is no such thing as a self-initiation. You know, you can do whatever you want in your own practice and do a commitment to, you know, if you do follow Wicca as more of a solitary practice, like you can do a, a commitment ritual or a dedication ritual to the Wiccan gods and you can understand your own uh, mysteries and your own things that you do with them. It's going to be different than the stuff that we do in, in our tradition, for sure. It doesn't make it any less, but it's not the same they are they're they're equal but not the same yeah and sometimes people might argue and say well that's gatekeeping but you know initiatory traditions as it turns out will train people and see who are best fits for the tradition and specifically the coven that's usually mm -hmm. the biggest breakdown well it's usually a mix of both i shouldn't say it's just the social aspect of it and people can get upset when they hear things like that of not just letting anybody in who wants to be part of it. But, you know, that's kind of, a you know, when there's initiation ceremonies and mysteries of a tradition that are only for the members, that, that's kind of how it goes. You know, it's like complaining you can't go on the Girl Scout field trip, but you were never a Girl Scout. Well, you got to <laughs> become a member of the Girl Scouts first. You know, they're not gatekeeping you if they tell you you can't go on the camping adventure with them or sell cookies with them you know, you got to put in the effort to join the Girl Scouts. I think, I mean, this might not be the best example. I think you just need to fill out a form and, <laughs> and join the troop. But you know what? Actually, this might not be a bad example because you are assigned a troop. And sometimes the troop that you're with is with people that maybe you, you're not friends with. And then you get put into another troop of in that group. Maybe you're great with. That's not super dissimilar to what could happen in outer court training or with covens. Maybe your first outer court experience or the people that you were with, like maybe they just weren't the, the people that really knew you or was able to understand you as a person. So, you know, you might find you have to go to another outer court and maybe that outer court, those people are great and they get you as a person. You have the same jokes. You like the same things. So I don't really know how I got here from initiation. I do have a question. Were you ever a Girl Scout? I was a Girl Scout. Do you get like coupons on the cookies? Because you need to no. show no, I used my free labor as a child to sell those cookies to get pennies. And, and then I didn't even go on the camping trip. You, they gave you pennies? It was to help with like our field trips and stuff. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. I think I only made it to like brownies or whatever, like the green one is after that. And then I think I dropped out because <laughs> I think I was over it. And I think my mom was overtaking it, uh, taking me to meetings. So don't blame her. Now that I am older, I, I do not blame her for that. <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> so yes, you know, there's a lot of debate between initiation versus self-initiation. I tend to agree with Azazel on this. However, if somebody is joining a group where there is a self-initiation such as the Sioux trad by Raymond Buckland, like, you know, as it turns out, that's how that tradition does things. So who might argue against it, you know, but I, I am of the mindset that it's really hard to initiate yourself into a stream of energy. If you don't have any contact with that energy, I think that it's easier if you have somebody who is already part of that bringing you in, mm -hmm. but to each their own, every path's their, their, Every person's path is their own, and that's completely fine. But yeah, you know, talking about stuff like initiations and self-initiations and joining different egregores of modes of practice and magic, there are some out there who have mastered and not mastered uh, the <laughs> capabilities of teaching these things from, you know, a more of a distance thing. You know, I think in the past couple of years, I've definitely noticed a lot more involvement online especially during covid you know a lot of people were spending less time either working or going outside and doing you know whatever it is that they're doing outside partying or what have you and more time inside and focusing on self-reflection and i know i've definitely noticed a lot more of influx of people joining either you know facebook groups or discords where they have like lesson plants and stuff and there are definitely some good resources out there. And then I think there's definitely some bad resources out there. I think it's, you know, in the same situation where you're seeking a coven, I think it's good to check out these types of resources and make sure that the people who are offering these courses or, or what have you are credible and have no horror stories about them, I should say. Some examples of this would essentially be like, there's a, and I learned about her from another podcast called Glitch Bottle, Josephine McCarthy. And I want to say it's Frater Ocker, maybe a couple of other magicians. They started a just an online website with a massive, massive load of information on ceremonial magic. There's different lessons. There's different lessons planned that you can do. They're all at their own pace. If you don't want to just search through a website all day, she did release it in books. So those obviously you do have to pay for. But the site is completely free. And it's like there's so much there's a bound of information that's on there that's put in by these experienced uh, magicians that have been doing this for years and that's a great resource and then if you if you guys do sound seem interested in that it's a website called coria q u a r i a dot com or look up josephine mccarthy she has a bunch of books on amazon that you can get if you don't want to just scroll through a website all day or you can do what i did and went through the courses and saved it for later on my google drive because they are able to be downloaded so that there are definitely a bunch of resources out there that can be helpful if you don't like learning from other people in a more in that more of a direct sense of joining a coven or joining a Facebook group. There are methods out there to which you can reach out to. Um, another one that I've heard really good things about is uh, Jason Miller. He's an author. He's done some great work. I've definitely enjoyed his most recent book, Consorting with Spirits. It was very influential and definitely gave me, as I said before, I've been getting heavily into necromancy and I've been heavily interested in doing his uh Cyprian, his St. Cyprian course, and also his Hakate course, which I've heard phenomenal things about from, and I've seen a lot of people that have taken it. Um, I have too. I, I really I want to take it, but we don't 
<laughs> Again, we, we planned on taking it literally. And then we're now running a coven. We're now running a coven. So we have <laughs> no time, also no money to do that. Uh, Jason's, Jason's courses, however, are not free and available. They're, they're, they're a little pricey. They're a little pricey. Um, but but from I, what probably, I've heard, from what I've yeah. heard, it's worth the price. Yeah. And he does have certain like payment plans for some of them. So they are feasible if you have the means to do it. And if you don't have the means to do it, definitely check out his books. There were I've, every book that I've read of his has been really good. Some people don't like his writing, but not everybody's perfect to everybody. Uh, not that he's saying that he's perfect. Anyway, moving on. Other forms of um, stuff that I have heard online of online courses would be which school, which is something that I actually did when I was maybe 12, 13, you know, scrolling online. There was really bad, badly set up website. Now that I'm thinking about it and going back into what the internet was like in 2005, however old I was then. So, you know, whatever. Years. Time isn't real. Anyway. Um, yeah, I went onto Wish School website and I took a couple of their courses. And, you know, I thought it was really interesting because, like, there are a lot of questions on there. And it really does. There's a test on there that kind of, like, tests you for your knowledge. And I kind of used, it was using that as a gauge to, like, see where I am. But Witch School is also attached to a tradition called the Corellian tradition. And after you essentially pass their first, quote unquote, first degree of material that's going to be free on their website, you can pay to get initiated and they will essentially, you fly out to them, you do their initiation, you do their um, ceremonies. Again, I never really went that far because one, I was like 12, 13 when I did this. So obviously I I would not be flying out somewhere to go get initiated into some random group. And my mom was definitely not going to let me. The witchcraft was one thing, but flying away to some random witch cult in who knows where with people who, who knows who they are, whatever. That was not going to happen. At least not at that age, because obviously I did that eventually. <laughs> okay. They, they also, you've probably seen their books out about in almost any metaphysical store you've ever gone to it's like this black cover and i know i think the first degree is like a greenish text mm-hmm. and it says which school first degree so it's definitely out there it's from llewellyn of course <laughs> gotta love llewellyn and um now no no hate for llewellyn which school is definitely a widely seen book in the tradition or in the community but mm-hmm. i i agree with azazel i have not heard the best things about this primarily because a lot of it is through a paywall and there's a lot of opinions about that in the craft where people feel like they have to pay for their degrees essentially and Mm -hmm. you have to wear these special robes and you get these badges and you have to pay for all of that and i've just heard it it's quite expensive they'll also post their rituals online sometimes too and i've seen them using ipads in ritual and I don't know. I'm very much against technology in a circle space and in a liminal space. And so I'm just going to say it's not my cup of tea, but you know what? There are people out there that this is the only thing around or the only option that they have. And so mm-hmm. I can't knock it in that sense of it is somewhat accessible. Well, at least the books are maybe not flying out to get initiated. But <laughs> So, you know, if this is the only thing that's available to you. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and bash it. But if you do have other options, I would recommend other options. Like maybe the the schools that they mentioned. I will say that as a caveat to that, and then this is obviously doesn't go for the whole tradition as not there's always bad apples everywhere. The things that I the comments and concerns that I have heard from people who were either part of one group here or there, um, they 
we're definitely raising a lot of red flags. And again, this doesn't speak for the whole tradition, but I have heard not very good things or parts of, or some of the groups that, that are out there in that tradition. And yeah, just if you decide to go that route, I would say just be careful and, you know, listen to Ashley's red flag episode if you need to and be cautious. Again, this doesn't really go necessarily solely for the Corellian or the witch school. This goes for anything, um, any type of witchcraft spaces. Um, you know, this is your spirituality that you're thinking about and it can, a lot of people when they're seeking their spirituality can be in a very vulnerable, vulnerable place and it can be very easy to be manipulated into a variety of different things. So always go forth in any sort of situation. Um, like even, I would say, even in the Gardnerian, Gardnerian tradition, no, no matter what it is, you know, always be cautious and be thoughtful of the things that you're doing, the people that you're interacting with, the things that they say. Um, you know, no one's free from red flags. Yeah, and just adding one more thing about the paywall with the Corellian tradition, they do, as I mentioned, okay, so if you go on their website, Outer Court Training is free and that's great. And I'm sure they offer some great information. But once you get past first and second and up to third degree, they start charging you upwards of over $100 in order to obtain your degree for what they call a clergy fee. I'm not really a big fan of that, but that's just of my personal opinion. I'm not a fan of there being a paywall when it comes to expanding your training within a coven in an initiatory setting. I think that could be a little, mm, not really for me, but to each their own. And, um, you know, again, please listen to the red flag episode. If you feel like you have any red flags or if you're unsure, if you're in a group that is trying to charge you over a hundred dollars just to, uh, spiritually develop yourself <laughs> that's, a, that's a that's a lot of money there are other resources out there that are free yep okay so now that we've talked a bit about some different trads which azazel and i are going to have a part two of this where we are going to talk about a bunch of different traditions so stay tuned for that one if you are interested in mm. you know potentially joining a group and want to know about the different options that are out there let's talk about how do you apply to be in a coven because we figure that's probably going to be an important thing to know first before you seek out the different traditions. Let's talk about the aspects that you need to know before you dive into this. So one of the very first things about applying to a coven is that I think people need to take a moment and be real with themselves of their time and their schedule and their commitment uh, mm -hmm. availability. Covens can take a lot of time for your schedule, even if they only meet once a month, even if they only meet every other week, you'd be shocked at how much time you end up with outer court work, with assignments, with meditations, with rituals, with your own personal practice. It is a big commitment. And I've mentioned before, I didn't realize how big of a commitment this was and how big of a thing I was getting involved with until after I was initiated. Mm -hmm. For me, it was the greatest thing I ever did. I'm very happy with being involved in all this, but yes, this is very much a time commitment. So if you're interested in seeking out a coven, make sure you have the time for it. Also, make sure that you have allowed yourself the time to properly seek out a coven because sometimes it can take literal years to get into an outer court if you're the right fit for the coven. And mm -hmm. I don't want any seeker to be discouraged by that. If you email a coven and they say, hey, 
I know it's 2022 right now, but we're not opening our next outer court till 2023 or 2024. That's not that uncommon. On the other side, there are some covens that do allow people in on a rolling basis. I'm personally the fan of starting with a cohort or also, you know, like the group of all people starting together. So you all go through your training together, but that's just how I like doing things. Not every group is like that and to each their own. Another thing to mention with your schedule is not only do you need to make sure you have the time to commit to a coven, but you also need to conform to the coven schedule without putting this in a different way. You know, this is going to be the nicest way I'm going to say this. Don't expect your coven to conform to your schedule. Point blank. Because if you are reaching out to them and you are asking to train with them, you have to go by when the leaders are available. Now, if you're in a smaller group and, you know, most leaders will take the people that they're training's time into consideration and do what they can to ensure that, hey, you know, Barbara works on Thursday nights and, you know, that's her late night at work. So maybe, maybe we'll, we'll not meet on that day or not have an online meeting that day or whatever it is, because, you know, we know that she's working that day, but any other day of the week is fine. Or, hey, maybe... We meet an hour later than we had planned because that's when the last train is that somebody can get when they get off work. You know, most covens are willing to be open to a conversation about scheduling. Um, however, come into this with the mindset that you need to be the ones conforming to them and not the other way around. But, you know, I would say, again, each coven is different. I think that Azazel and I have tried our best to accommodate schedules within our group. Um, but I can't say that the coven next door might do that, you know. It really depends on the group. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know when I was in outer court um, and I had just started, you know, this is my first time really, really being in a coven and with a strict schedule and they met every other week and I lived about 40 minutes away from them, 30, 40 minutes away from them. And I pretty much had to go to my job and be like, hey, every other weekend I need this day off or just have just give me this day off specifically every other week or be out by this specific time. I have religious things I have to do. And because I did, this was something that was very serious to me and I did want to make that commitment. Now, not everybody has that um, opportunity uh, or capability to do with their job. Um, that definitely can be a privilege for some. But if you, you know, if this, is, if this is something that you are serious about doing, again, like Ashley said, like it's going to, take a commitment. It's going to take some responsibility around um, on your end to kind of move some things around if this is something you're really serious about. I also want to say that whenever you are emailing these covens, which we'll talk about in a moment, to make sure that you are being polite in your emails and not coming off strong and giving your entire life story and then being like, oh, I can only meet this day, just this day and this day. Like, when do you guys meet? Can we meet this time? Like, I could do this day. I, I want to say that asking if there's covens that only meet on a certain day or time of the week will only get you so far because mm -hmm. you really got to see who's around you. You got to talk to them. You got to see if they're even taking students. So I, I would say if you're going to apply to a coven, make sure you have the availability in your schedule make sure you have some flexibility. Yeah. Focus on who's around you. Focus on who you're meeting with first. But before you reach out to anybody, please be real with yourself and see if you do have the time to dedicate to your group because it's only, you know, you want to be respectful to the people who are taking time out of their day to train you as well. Yeah. I think another aspect of that is not only 
being able to ready yourself and being able to take on that type of commitment, but also making sure that even in your own life, you are somewhat stable in a stable environment, whether a stable job, have stable transportation. It can definitely be very difficult to constantly, again, you know, not only working around other people's schedules, but if certain covens do have a year in a day training and you're constantly missing either circle or meetings because you didn't take the time and energy to, you know, oh, I had so-and-so, I had to go meet with my friends at seven o'clock and I had to be with you guys at eight, but, you know, I just wanted to stay with my friends. So I'm just going to do that. You know, make sure that you're in a stable environment to be able to commit to doing certain things. I know there are definitely, I've had my own experiences, you know, when I was running an outer court down in Miami, where there were certain situations where some of the people that I let in just because I really enjoyed their company. But after a while, I had to essentially tell them, you know, this isn't the best time for you. Because there's always something going on. You're constantly coming to the the group with drama. And it's not conducive to a healthy learning environment for everybody else. And it makes everything easier when people come and joining a group and bringing their own baggage to said group if they're a little bit able to focus on these things. And I think another part to point out as well as while we mentioned before that, you know, coven situations can be intimate, can, you know, be times where you can be vulnerable with certain people. You're definitely going to be sharing things about yourself to other people. Being in a coven is not therapy. You know, we are not there to therapize you and give you, you know, methods to deal with everything that's going on in your, in your life. We're here to teach you the craft. We're here to teach you, uh, the tradition. And while we may obviously care for you and care about the things that happen to you, it is not our place. Um, and we It's usually out of our scope of knowledge uh, for most leaders to be able to offer that kind of service to you. So I wouldn't go into a coven expecting that kind of treatment. We're kind of beating the, the dead horse at this point, but we, we really just want to ensure that, you know, you wouldn't want to if you can, you wouldn't want to be moving and starting a new job all within the same week. You know, you want to, if you do have things that are going on in your life, if you are having a baby or if you're getting a divorce, or you're starting a job or you're moving, or mm-hmm. you have some big life transitioning event that is coming up. Sometimes doing it out of court right before that happens is not the best idea. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I totally joined an outer court right before I was about to graduate and I started a new job and I was working my other job and I was writing a grant. So like, you know, I'm kind of the pot con the kettle black. I'm being a hypocrite right now, but I am also incredibly type A and I scheduled out my sleep. And that was a very crazy time in my life where I had like five jobs, literally, literally five jobs while in grad school full time. And yeah, I don't recommend doing that, but it worked out great for me. <laughs> Let's go to show you Ashley is insane. <laughs> Listen, I'm just very type A and I have my shit together. And that's why now I am relaxing. <laughs> I mean, having known you for two years, I 100% think you probably had your shit together. And Had? Wow. Oh, I mean, you obviously have your shit together. Um, wow. But I meant like at that time, at that age, I would, I, I, I personally at that time did not have my shit together 100%. But you, I could see 100% having your shit together and being able to accomplish 17 different jobs <laughs> and also be able to join an hour court, do all the materials for that, and for somehow find time to sleep and be as bougie as you are. Thank you. I believe I, I sometimes slept in my car in between my shifts at work. 
because <laughs> it was too far to drive home and it was just easier to sleep in the car. Okay. Um, but I made it work. It was fine. Anywho, that's a bit about my life before I became a witch. So um, one other thing I want to mention when you are emailing these, these covens, as I said, be polite in your emails. Also, please keep in mind, most coven leaders have real life responsibilities. They have families, they have jobs, they have whatever they're doing. Please don't expect an immediate response. I know Azazel and I have been horrible ourselves. Sometimes we take like a month or two to respond to people. Sorry, guys. Um, but, you know, people get busy. People see emails. They don't get a chance to respond. Sometimes groups are inactive. Sometimes outer courts aren't even open yet. Um, if you don't hear from a coven leader within about, a, I would say like two to three weeks, maybe a month, feel free to send them a follow-up email. That's just my opinion. Um, don't email them the day after your first email and be like, did you get my email? Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, some, you know, people are busy. Uh, another thing I want to mention, if you do meet or if you do talk with these coven leaders and of the outer court that you're looking to join and you're going to meet up with them for the first time, whether that is virtual or in person, but especially if this is in person, Please don't stand up your leaders. If you, you know, wake up that day and you have cold feet or something happens, please let them know. You know, nobody wants to be the person sitting at Starbucks for an hour and a half waiting for somebody to show up that never comes. It, you know, it's, it's like getting stood up on a date, kind of. Like, nobody wants to be that person. It's really sad for everybody involved. People feel awkward. And especially if you're coming from a long distance or they're coming from a long distance, you know, you never know what other things people are putting off to meet with you. You never know if somebody put their kid in childcare that day, paid for babysitter, if they moved around a shift at work. So please just be respectful of each other's time um, and communicate. And if you can't make it, it's okay. You know, sometimes you'll find that this isn't for everybody. And if you find that in that moment, you're not able to meet up with these leaders because you're you know, too anxious or scared or really just not feeling it, just let them know. Please don't stand them up. I'd be really sad if somebody stood me up. I'd probably cry about it, to be completely honest with you. So please don't do that. You probably would. I, I would definitely cry. And then I would call you and cry for like an hour on the phone and you'd have to deal with me. Yep. So please yeah. don't do that for my sake. <laughs> All right. So now that we talked about that, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back in a moment. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. Welcome back. So now that we talked a little bit about like what to think about prior to reaching out to a coven, um, I think some advice that I would give for, you know, going through with that process and figuring out like, okay, you know, I'm in this space. I think I'm good. Let me, and I want to reach out to a coven. I want to see what these people are about. Um, sometimes you may have more of a, of a, variety of options 
sometimes more often than not you don't really and there's maybe like one maybe two there may be other things outside of the type of tradition that you're working um that you're looking to join if there aren't any options you know i i wouldn't say completely knock the groups that are around you um i think it can always be helpful to get your feet wet a little bit before joining fully with a very dedicated group especially something like gardnerian or alexandrian or any type of traditional initiatory uh, tradition, um, you know, it can be helpful to get your feet wet a little bit and see how you work in a group setting. So I wouldn't be afraid of reaching out to other groups that are near you that might be not as strict or as um, structured as these other groups. So if you do have those options, definitely reach out to them as well. Um, reaching out to them specifically you know, always make sure that, like I said earlier, that you make sure that these groups are credible, that they are have some type of good standing in the community. It's always good to, even though you can be a solitary uh, practitioner, you know, go out to Pragan Pride Days and, you know, interact with the rest of the community in more of a community sense and not necessarily joining specific groups. You want to get to know the, the people around you, whether it be other solitaries or groups um, you know, there can be some group that has, you know, a website and they look perfect and they have, you know, all the right things that you're looking for, but you know, you don't really know them because you're not really that involved in the community. And if you had gotten involved in the community, you might have been able to, you know, either reach out to somebody and be like, Hey, do you know this person? You know, are they good people? Are they talking out of their ass? Um, do they have specific views that you, that you may not necessarily agree with? Little things like that can definitely be helpful when you're getting into that environment. Um, if you're looking for mostly like, if you don't have that type of, I guess, advantage of be being in an area that has a heavy pagan community or witchcraft community, um, and you're looking for, let's say, a guard coven, you know, there's definitely resources online that you can reach out to, like the uh, Garnerian Singers and Initiates page. I believe Alexandrians also have one of the same title, but with Alexandrians, obviously. And you can reach out there, reach out to the admins and ask if, you know, are these people good people? For the most part, I think groups like that usually have a list of covens that might be in your area. And if they're going to be on that list, typically they're going to be viewed as, you know, being somewhat vetted. They're going to be obviously vetted for being valid initiates, um, but not even though we are very close knit and we do the majority of us do know each other. It can not everybody can vouch for everybody's character. So always take things with at least a grain of salt and limit your own, have your own interactions with um, people. So definitely do, you know, reach out to people, but also, you know, follow up on, on who these people might actually be. You know, you don't want to join a Fraunarian group and end up with that for like, you know, five, 10 years. And then you find out way too late that you spent all this time doing something that you didn't, that wasn't actually the thing that you actually wanted to learn. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, in witchcraft, as with the real world, there are people out there who don't have your best intentions at heart. There are people out there that have views that might not line up with yours. And so it's really important to seek the group or to vet out the groups that you're with. So if you are interested in the gardening tradition, for example, I would recommend looking at the page, the Facebook page that's called Gardnerian Wicca Seekers and Initiates. This is the page that has over 5,000 members. It also has like over 40 admins or so. And I want to say these admins are from all over the world. Mm -hmm. So you can vet people 
literally any group because they're going to know they're going to know everybody that's the whole point of why they have so many admins to have so many different perspectives and areas that they cover there are other gardenerian facebook groups out there and i would just say that the gardener and wicca seekers and initiates page is the page where you're going to get the most information on vetting a group um, I personally would stay away from the other pages that don't have as many members, don't have as, as many groups for some reasons, but honestly, the biggest one is that they don't have as many resources as the largest group and the largest group is very, very active. So mm-hmm. if you are interested in the gardenerian tradition, please seek out the Gardener Wicca Seekers and Initiates page. They're going to give you the most up-to-date information. Yeah. A the lot Lex- of traditions also have their own type of pages so definitely mm-hmm. look out look online especially on facebook there's a variety of things um now that uh witchbox is gone and um sad to see it go it was definitely very influential to my upbringing in the craft um resources like that have really split up into a variety of different places um you know one of those being you know obviously facebook as we mentioned one of those other being uh Mandragora magica is another one um and that's spelled M-A-N-D-R-A-G-O-R-A-M-A-G-I-K-A.com. That was very difficult for me to spell out for some reason. (laughs) Uh, But it's called Mandragora Magica. Uh, Feel free to Google it if you don't want to listen to each syllable being pronounced by me. They'll also be in the episode bio too. They they host a bunch of different they, they host a bunch of different coven listings on there. Mm-hmm. It is important to note that the site doesn't necessarily vet every group that's on there. And fun fact, I'm actually doing an episode with the owner or the site host. Um, so keep an eye out for that later this season. We're gonna talk a bit about the site and what goes into it, including the listings. Um Mayandragora Magica is the website to go to to look for mm-hmm. covens. Mandragora Magica actually even has a section on their page where they direct people to go to the Gardener and Wicca Seekers and Initiates Facebook page and also the Alexandrian version of this too. And mm-hmm. I think they have another tradition on there too. I know I talk about Gardenerian shit all the time. I'm sorry, y'all. That's just my experience in the, <laughs> in the craft. I'm not trying to be biased and talk about it all the time, but it just happens to be what I know. So I'm trying my best to expand Yeah, that's my definitely a resource that you can and, reach out to for a variety of different things. Yes. Um, not just Gardnerian Wicca. Uh, not just Gardnerian Wicca. There's tons of other traditions, which Azazel and I will have another episode on. I promise we know information about other things aside from Gardnerians. It's just most of my knowledge is <laughs> based on the group I trained with, which happens to be guards. Anywho. Now that we've talked about, you know, prepping for joining a group and stuff to look out for when you're going to be um, researching different covens in your area. Um, now, actually reaching out to them, you know, sending that email, sending that, don't send a text message because that'd be weird. I would be concerned how you found their number. But anyhow, um, that initial message that you do send out to potential coven leaders or groups that you want to join, um, obviously, please include your name. That'd be very helpful. Um, I think a lot of, I've gotten, we, we've gotten some emails um, that for some reason don't include their name or super short. Be like, me, coven, you, now, thank you. It wasn't exactly like that, but it might as well have but, been. Yeah, he's he's not even really exaggerating. You know, it's really hard to respond back to somebody when the only message we get in an email is, hi, when does your coven meet so I can join? Yeah. Because I'm like, well, you know, as a, as a potential student, it's kind of gives the, your first impression means mm-hmm. a lot. 
um, especially when you're meeting somebody through email, not even in person. And so you want to show the best sides of yourself and you want to show that you have some, you know, respect for the people you're emailing, that you have, you know, respect for the coven itself that you're potentially joining for. I mean, granted, you don't know these people, you don't know the coven, Mm -hmm. but more, more in the sense of like, you want to put your best foot forward. And if you're just kind of demanding or assuming or not even telling us your name, (laughs) you know, know, or, or being like, hi, my name is so-and-so here's my phone number. Can you call me about coven stuff? Um, you know, most people would probably not call, especially when it comes to witchcraft things. I would probably recommend against that, but, um, yeah, go, go ahead. Azazel. I know, I know there's a whole bunch of things I know you want to address regarding how this email should be (laughs) properly formatted. (laughs) Yes. So again, include your name, please. And I will say this a billion times. Please include your name. Um, Also, aside from that, you know, include where you're from. Um, That can be definitely helpful if certain covens aren't really, not always, uh, but I guess it depends on the group. Um, Like we said before, you know, if you're really out of the way, those are some covens that won't really want to accommodate for that um, or make you accommodate for that. Um, So that can be helpful as well. Uh, a bit about you. Yeah, it's really important to put your location because sometimes there's covens on these websites that are not listed or new covens that might just be starting. And so when you put your location, these coven leaders might know of a coven that's closer to your area than what the group is that you're reaching out to. So super important to put your location. They might be able to get you in contact with somebody who's a little bit closer. Mm-hmm. All right. So aside from your name, the location that you're, um, that you're the area that you're in, um, another good thing would put to, and I wouldn't go super deep into this. We don't know need to know your entire life story, um, but a little bit of background on, you know, what got you into the craft, maybe how long you've been practicing. I think it's good for coven leaders to know if they're going to be dealing with somebody that's going to be completely green or somebody that has a little bit more experience. Um, not to say that that's going to lend either way. Um, there are some coven leaders that prefer people who are going to be more green. There <laughs> are some people who prefer people to be a little bit more experienced. And like I definitely met a couple of coven leaders that, you know, regardless of your interest and enthusiasm of joining a coven, you know, they want to make sure that you essentially know what you're doing and they don't have to baby you the entire time. Um, there are some people who are a little bit more open to the idea of training new newer people. And it really just depends. So definitely include the amount of experience that you have within the, within the craft and if that's you know whether it's a little bit a lot you know regardless of how you may view that type of information i think can be helpful to uh your potential initiators or coven leaders i also want to add it'd be probably really useful in your email to put your contact information because yes most people know that they can just probably press reply but hey you know internet's finicky sometimes and it's just nice to know what the best contact information for you is mm-hmm. yeah and not everybody uses email i know i suck at using email so it can if, if you know calling on the phone is something that's pro, pro preferable to you and you, you can be reached better in that direction or if it's a facebook page or some other method of communication um that can be more direct for you you know definitely leave those things as well i would caution this though a lot of groups are very secretive about their identities and their locations Mm -hmm. like their specific area so 
I know for one, and as Azel can definitely back me up on this, I am definitely a phone person. 100%. He's, make, he's making a funny face right now. Too much. I love talking on the phone. However, if I get an email from a seeker saying, hey, call me after this hour or whatever, I'm probably not going to call them. because I, I want well, to talk. Yeah. To, yeah I, so I recommend leave at least one to two or leave at least two different ways they can reach you. Well, if you're doing email, just leave your email. But if you do have a phone or a Skype or a Teams account or something that they can contact with you, you know, feel free to leave that too. But I think generally most people would prefer to have their initial conversations over email. Mm-hmm. Especially at the beginning of the conversations, maybe after a while and they've gotten to get to know you somewhat over email and you guys have been corresponding over a while. After some time, you can, you know, exchange that type of information. Aside from that, you know, name, location, level of practice, so to speak. Maybe a uh, thing of how you found their information. Yeah, how you found their information, you know, what brings you to that specific group, that specific tradition, you know, what really interests you about it, um, or is it something that you heard somewhere and you want to learn more about it? Uh, I would definitely recommend learning more about it prior to seeking with a coven, if it's a specific tradition, you know, gain some knowledge on what it is exactly you're asking to join, potentially. Don't feel like you have to be a complete expert emailing these groups, too. A lot of these groups might prefer somebody who doesn't have as much background because then they can train you from the ground up instead of you potentially relearning something or unlearning a certain way for that specific group's purpose. So don't feel bad if you're totally green and you really don't know a lot about the group you're emailing. I definitely did not, but luckily it worked out for me. That's not gonna be the case for everybody, but don't, don't feel like you have to have read an entire encyclopedia about the tradition you're reaching out to. Um, yeah, just have a general concept of either the type of tradition that they might be a part of. Um, you know, there are specific um, groups specifically for either LGBT people that are out there. And it may feel a little bit awkward bringing in somebody who's either not of that specific type of LGBT or um, stuff like that into their group just because it might be a comfortability thing for you. Um, or you might be open to it. You know, who knows? But you know, have some background knowledge, a little bit at least, of the type of groups that you're going to be joining. And also have patience. There are, as me and Ashley can definitely attest to, because we've been very busy, you know, setting up our outer court and obviously training our students and meeting up every once in a while. You know, in our situation, I live a couple states away from the actual group and I don't always meet with them every um, in person a lot. Um, I do come down for, you know, the Sabbaths, but in the in-between, you know, I have a full-time job. Ashley has a full-time job. Um, our students have full-time jobs and it can be very difficult to constantly be keeping up with the email. So definitely have some patience, give some, you know, if it's been a month or two months and you've heard nothing back, maybe put out a feeler. Maybe give it a little bit more time. Speaking of covens, they may be specifically related to any sort of LGBT type groups. There are some groups that are can maybe not as inclusive. So if you are either part of the LGBT community, definitely I would ask about that. Maybe not on the first conversation, but probably the second or third conversation and seeing where their opinions lie on that. You know, even though we've come so far in the inclusion of everybody 
and have being having groups be a little bit more diverse than they were maybe 30, 40 years ago at the very least, latest. Um, there are some groups now that are still very exclusive of certain groups of different types of people. And, you know, it, it's sad to say, but there are still some groups that are out there that are like this. So if that's something that you're not comfortable with, or maybe that might be something that you're more comfortable with, but however, definitely reach out and make this something that that's going to be something that means much to you. You know, there are people who you may not essentially be part of that group, but it's still maybe good to know. There are definitely covens that I've seen that may or may not be exclusionary towards a certain group of people. And there may be nobody in that group of people that may be part of that coven, but you know, you don't want to find out three years down the line when some, another seeker comes down and they may be trans or non-binary or, or gay or lesbian or what have you. And they're being excluded from the group because of that reason. But now you've built this entire long relationship with these people, but you feel fundamentally wrong with that decision. And because it never came up, you never really thought to talk about it. But now you're stuck with this difficult situation of, do I leave? Do I go? Like, what do I do? And so it can be helpful. Do I go? It can be definitely helpful to figure out these things early on. Don't be afraid to ask your coven the hard questions. You know, as I mentioned, you're interviewing them just as much as they are interviewing you. You got to make sure you find the right fit and look out for those red flags. Don't overlook a red flag just because of the appeal of, you know, what's behind the curtain is alluring in, in the sense of like maybe initiation sounds really great or like being a witch sounds really cool. But, you know, maybe the person you're training with is, you know, transphobic, you know, don't don't overlook that. It, you know, please ask your group about the hard questions, about the questions that are important to you, the social issues that you care about. You know, I know there's a lot of covens out there who say that they don't want to talk about politics or get politics involved in their group. But at some point, you do need to know if the person that you're circling with and that you're exposing your most intimate self with has views that may or may not agree with you and where you go from there. So as Azazel said, it's really important to make sure that you get to know the people that you are with because it's really hard if you develop this long relationship with somebody and then you find out a couple years down the line, that they have this view that doesn't line up with yours. And maybe it's one that really challenges, you know, your ethics of how you view certain situations. So please ask your groups the hard questions, look out for red flags, don't ignore them. There's always another group that you can go with. And honestly, I, I've heard, unfortunately, of seekers who have been with a group, they've seen red flags and they've kind of just pushed it off and they're like, oh, well, it's okay. Like I can kind of deal with this for a while. Like I just got to get through initiation. But I want to tell the seekers who've had to deal with that one. I'm, I'm sorry that that has been your experience and because I, I know of people this has happened to. Um. The other thing I want to say is if, if this is something that you are experiencing and you just keep thinking, well, if I just get through initiation, I want to see what's behind the curtain. I want to become a witch. I want to do this. I want to do that. Just consider if you're already having issues now at a seeker level with the group that you're with, just imagine how life would be after initiation because it doesn't just go away. It does not just go away. And 
sometimes it gets worse and sometimes your your leaders might have what other people call high priestess syndrome, which is something we had talked about earlier in this episode. So I'm not going to really go back into it, but this is more about when some leaders get a little bit too high off their ego. And that's very important to look out for of the people that you're with. So listen to the red flag episode. If you want to know a little bit more about that, um, it's on my podcast and yeah, be safe y'all. Also, if things seem off, as we mentioned, please talk to somebody, reach out to the groups to vet your group. If a coven is trying to stop you an adult person from talking to another adult person or forming <laughs> a friendship with them, yikes. Yes, definitely. Don't let any sort of coven leader um, infantilize you just because you are training under them. You know, you are still adult. You still can make your own choices. And yeah, there, you know, I have been in certain situations in my craft life where, you know, a lot of people felt that I couldn't make my own decisions for some reason. And I I started to realize a lot of the manipulations that were, that was the subtle manipulations that were going on that I didn't notice before until things became a lot more surface level. And this doesn't happen with anybody, obviously. Um, there, there can be situations where certain people would be like, hey, you know, this person has done X, Y, and Z. You might want to stay away from them or at least be cautious with your interactions with them. You know, I think those types of situations can definitely be helpful. You know, giving you more of an informed mindset and not necessarily telling you, don't talk to this person because... I don't want you to talk to them for some reason. <clears throat> Whatever. Um, don't forget that you are a full-fledged adult and can make your own choices. All right. So we have talked a lot about covens, about tradition, about initiation. Um, so the last part of this is just some advice for people who are thinking that they want to start up a coven who may or may not have any witchcraft experience. Uh, I, you know, want to preface this again by mentioning that that Azazel and I are relatively new coven leaders. So, you know, we don't have all of the answers. We don't have years of experience backing us up when we're having this conversation. These are just things that we have come across within our last year or so of being, you know, running a group. And, you know, as I mentioned, we're not the experts, but we're <laughs> still happy to share what we know. And as it turns out, that's what I did when I started this podcast as an OC <laughs> student. So I'm going to do it again now. <laughs> I, I think it's definitely helpful too that, you know, even though we were part of the same tradition, we still come from very different backgrounds and they're very different training backgrounds. And so like when we were coming together to start, you know, our own thing, a lot of it was kind of bringing the breath, uh, bringing the best of both worlds that we were taught and putting those things together and seeing what actually, you know, worked for each other. You know, what, what works really well for me may not work really well for you and also may not be conducive to how we um, structure the coven and it can definitely be helpful to have you know co-leaders it doesn't necessarily always need to be a high priest and high priestess there can be you know if you want to do it seasonally and have like from this time to this time this person's the leader of the group i think that's a little bit more chaotic but you know those are things that can work for specific people it really depends on what your goals are um like i said before i and am the supreme Yes, you can be the supreme for the spring. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and, but yeah, you know, play with it. You know, think about what's what's best for you and what's best for the people that, that you either want to join your group 
or the people that you already have planned for bringing into your group? Just keep in mind, it's a lot of managing people. It's kind of like herding cats in a way, (laughs) (laughs) unless you get really lucky. And um, I would say we got pretty lucky with our students, but not every group is like that. I would say that if this is your first experience, just generally in your life, managing a large group of people or even just a couple of people, there may definitely be some growing pains that go along with learning that skill because managing people is definitely a skill. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I use the term managing people. You're not necessarily in charge of every aspect of this person's life, but if you're the leader of a group, you know, you are managing the group. Mm-hmm. So keep in mind, it can be done. It's a lot of managing and there's a large and long time commitment that comes with that. And if you try to do things at the last minute, things can get chaotic very, very easily. And with this, I want to say that it's very important to make sure that you yourself as a coven leader has, you want to make sure you've built out a solid foundation if you're starting something and be prepared. The things are not always going to go the way that you planned, especially, especially in witchcraft. And one of the easiest examples I can give in this is, you know, how often you'd like to meet in person. Sometimes you plan out the most bomb ass ritual for Samhain. You got a bunch of candles. You're going to talk to the gods and your ancestors. You've rented a, or borrowed your roommate's black cat. You know, <laughs> like you, you got, you got your, your ducks in a row. You got some really cool outfits. You know, you went all out. And then right when it comes for time to do ritual, somebody got COVID. Another person can't get off work. You yourself not feeling that great. Maybe the cakes you wanted for Samhain were not gluten-free and you had to get the regular ones. And you know, that's going to mess up (laughs) Tina's stomach, you know, like sometimes you got to roll with it. And this is definitely something I learned, you know, as a type A person, that was a little difficult for me. I'm like, what do you mean? It's not going according to plan. I planned this out a year ago. What do you mean? (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? That's, that's a lesson I've had to learn and it's okay because witchcraft and running a group is like herding cats. Our schedule that we made changed so much from when we first started it. Not so much, but it has gone through some changes (laughs) as the year has gone by. And I think it's always definitely be open to the fact that your original plan, like Ashley said, is not always going to be the same way that you see things going. Like you can have a plan for a specific group. And I definitely heard many other coven leaders say this, you know, you can have a curriculum or um, a syllabus set out and it may not be what you end up going with throughout the rest of the year or, you know, what you guys end up actually doing. So be somewhat available for change. I think being flexible can definitely be helpful. Um, you know, you have to keep in mind that when you're building out a curriculum and when you're training other people, just because you want to train in a certain way, you need to realize that as the teacher, you need to mold around what your students need to learn not how you think it needs to go. Because if you're focusing on another person, then you should be focusing on how they're able to be trained. And if that means you need to spend an extra month going over the elements or learning how to cast a circle or, you know, going over what a besom is, then so be it. You know, it's important to be flexible. Yeah, for sure. I think definitely building, at least if there's a variety of different levels quote unquote of practice um you know so you have some people that are going to be a little bit new some people that have a little bit more experienced it can definitely be helpful to kind of 
go through the foundations of how you want that coven to function um, with each individual person. Because, you know, there are people who are, you know, they may be very experienced in their own personal practice and may have been practicing for years, but in a coven setting, in a coven setting, it can be definitely new for them. And so everybody's a little green in a in a plethora of different ways. And I think it's kind of playing to what everybody's singular, I guess, points of commonality are and build upon that and help. That way you, you're not all doing 17 different lessons for just for like five different people, just because everybody's interested in different things. You want to have essentially give them the foundations of things where they can branch off and do their own thing at some point on their own time. Yeah. And I think the last piece of advice I'd probably give for people who are interested in starting up a coven is consider joining a coven first to see if this is something you'd even like if there's one, you know, near you. But Mm -hmm. If you're doing this, don't join the coven just to be rude and steal their stuff because that's that's not, that's not cool. Don't do that. That's not um, nice. That's not nice. Um, and if you're seeking a coven and you aren't sure of the tradition or if you want to vet them, you know, we mentioned some resources, but feel free to post your questions about covens in Which is Seeking Witchcraft. That's the Facebook group associated with this podcast. Please answer the membership questions. Azazel, myself, and our friend Tiana from the Astrology Witch Podcast go through all of those things mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> please, please answer the questions it makes our it makes our life a little bit easier um but yeah feel free to post it in which is seeking witchcraft um and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can um and if we can't directly answer i know that there are a lot of people in that group who are members of the community just the witchcraft and pagan community in general and a lot of different backgrounds and perspectives and i'm sure they'd be more than happy to help as well we got some great people in there so <laughs> Okay, well, Azazel, do you have anything else that you want to mention about any topic that we have talked about today? Uh, with covens, um, all I can say is definitely take your time and take your time in, if you do jo- end up joining a coven, take your time in learning to understand the people around you. Um, you know, obviously don't hyper-focus on every single little thing that, every little thing that they do. That'd be creepy and weird. But Take the time to build that trust um, and learn to see if you can trust these people. You know, see, be aware of their interactions with you, their interactions with other people. There are definitely, I've definitely been in situations where certain people may get viewed as getting more attention or have been like love bombed or, you know, types of. I guess manipulation that you don't necessarily see for yourself uh, because you may not view yourself in that way. But I think in viewing those in either other students in the outer court, other students that might be initiates, um, coven leaders that may do this, you know, these, I think these are things you just should definitely look out for. And just because it may not be happening to you, doesn't necessarily mean that you're aware that it might not be happening to you. Um, There are red flags to look for everywhere. And we mentioned these because Yes, they, they do happen. This is not in every group. Um, there are definitely groups out there that are fantastic and don't have these issues. But it's always good to be aware of situations where your spiritual health is essentially at the forefront of what you're doing. And you are in a very vulnerable place, as I said before. And just take care of yourself. Don't do something just because it's cool and fun and, and you like the people, you know, be conscious of the things that you're doing, any oath that you may take, 
any um, commitments that you may make to doing certain rituals or whatever. Make sure that these are things that you're comfortable with. And I would say that that would be my bit of advice. Great. Well, you know, I always ask people at the end of the episode, what's one piece of advice they can give a seeker? But I think you pretty much just covered it. <laughs> well, um, yeah, good, because I didn't have anything planned. <laughs> well, also, in uh, the topic of taking your time, this has been a long episode. So yeah. Remember we said it was going to be a short episode? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> that, was, that was funny. I love this for you because you're going to edit this one. Okay. That was funny that we thought that was going to happen. Um, all right. Well, Azazel, thank you so, so much for coming on and giving your extremely valuable input um, or your extremely knowledgeable input. If people want to get in contact with you or check out your podcast, how could they do all of that? You can reach me out on Facebook, a Feast of Torches podcast. Um, I'm also on Instagram at feast underscore of underscore torches underscore podcast. And also on Twitter at Feast of Torches, no podcast. And on Instagram also as Azazel. Same thing you can look for on uh, Twitter as well. I'm still an old man and haven't fully figured out how to use Twitter. But once I do, it's going to be game time. All right. And I can actually talk to Ashley and all the other online witchcraft people on Twitter. Anyway, Azazel is spelled A-Z-A-I-Z-A-L-L. It's not the demon Azazel. Similar, but not the same thing. You can also uh, listen to my podcast on a variety of different podcast resources, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. If you'd like a link in my Instagram and on my Twitter, there's a link tree where you can see all of the variety of different um, resources that I have. I also have a merch site as well, uh, where I have made specific designs for the podcast. Some are random quotes that we've had from the show. Some are more elemental stuff, so definitely check that out. And the pro, some of the proceeds of the merch definitely do go to charities are related to the elemental ones or specific things that the topic of the merch may be geared towards. Uh, again, the podcast name is Feast of Torches, if I haven't said that enough. And thank you guys for listening. Can't wait to be back on to talk about traditions for two hours again. Yay. Oh, gosh. I, I'm hoping that one won't be two hours. <laughs> thank you, Azazel, so much for coming on. If anybody's interested in finding me, you can find me on Facebook at Seeking Witchcraft Podcast. I have a like page. As I mentioned, I also have a Facebook group called Witches Seeking Witchcraft. Please answer the questions for membership. Thanks, y'all. I am on Twitter at Seek Witchcraft. I'm on Instagram at Seeking Witchcraft. My spam account is finally gone. Yay. But I... I have a feeling that won't be the last. I have a feeling that won't be the only time I actually run into that. So there's that. Um, if you are interested in supporting the show, I do have a Patreon where we offer a Discord where we do things like book clubs. My Patreon is patreon.com slash seeking witchcraft. Azazel also has a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash speech of torches. No? Oh, yeah. I have one of those too. We also do a book club. We've been reading. <laughs> What's the book called? We've been reading uh, The Doctrine and Ritual of High Magic for the past year, and it's been fantastic. Yes, and I am in that book club. So you can find Azazel on Patreon as well. It's patreon.com slash Feast of Torches. At least I'm pretty sure it's your Patreon, is it? Sure. Okay, well, you can find him if you're interested. There's a link in the link tree on my Instagram. There you go. (laughs) All right, y'all. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you guys all have a great rest of your day or night or whenever you're listening to this. And we'll talk to you all very soon for part two about traditions at a later time. Bye. Bye.